the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. First covenant failed because it relied upon us. It relied upon man to keep it. The problem was man's heart, man's rebelliousness. In fact, look at verse 8. Because finding fault with them, not with the covenant, but with them, with man. The fault was with them, the people. You know, if you think about it, the covenant is basically God saying, if you you keep my commands, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, and I'll bless you. The children of Israel refused to keep the commands. Remember, they broke the commands. They shattered the commands. Someone can tell you the oven's hot, but we don't always take people at their word. Sometimes you need to touch the burner in order to confirm it. Many people wonder why God made the first covenant with Israel if it wasn't sufficient. Pastor Dan explains to us today why it was needed. He could have told them beforehand that they wouldn't be able to follow his law, but do you think they would have taken him at his word? Sometimes you need to bring your hand in order to know that the oven is really hot. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Jeremiah chapter 31 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. All of our sins, all of the transgressions, all of the things that we've done wrong. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell, and by Jesus to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind, just by the things that you think and by your wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through his death to present you. Listen to this holy, blameless and above reproach in his sight because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross to pay for our sins, now He will present us to God holy, blameless, and above reproach in God's sight. He's not just covering our sins, He's taking them away. The New Living Translation says, you will stand before God without a single fault because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Come on, isn't that amazing to think you're going to stand before God one day without a single fault against you. Holy, blameless, and above reproach because of the sacrifice of Jesus. It's a better covenant made on better promises. Just as it says here 
and verse 6. A new covenant is a better covenant established on better promises. And now he goes on here in verse 7. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second covenant. There was a problem with the first covenant. There was a fault. And the problem with the first covenant was not the covenant itself. You know, the law is holy, just, and good, the Bible says. So the problem was not with the covenant itself. The first covenant failed because of man. The first covenant failed because it relied upon us. It relied upon man to keep it. The problem was man's heart. Man's rebelliousness. In fact, look at verse 8. Because finding fault with them, not with the covenant, but with them, with man. The fault was with them, the people. You know, if you think about it, the covenant is basically God saying, if you keep my commands, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, and I'll bless you. But the children of Israel refused to keep the commands. Remember, they broke the commands. They shattered the commands. Remember last week when we were together, I mentioned that when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, receiving the first covenant, the children of Israel were at the base of Mount Sinai, worshiping a golden calf as their God. They were breaking the covenant as they were receiving the covenant. So the fault was with them. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Again, he's just repeating Jeremiah 31. I will put my laws into their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their, notice, their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Look at verse 13 now. Verse 13. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete And growing old is ready to vanish away. He says it's becoming obsolete. Speaking of the old covenant, he says it's ready to vanish away. When the writer of Hebrews wrote this book, the temple was still standing in Jerusalem. They still had the sacrificial system. They still had the priesthood. But the covenant was becoming obsolete. It was about to vanish away. 70 AD, the temple's destroyed. By the Romans, the priesthood ends in 70 A.D. The sacrificial system ended in 70 A.D. And at that point, the old covenant vanishes away. And since 70 A.D., the Jewish people have not had a temple where they can go to worship God and make sacrifices to him. They have not had a priesthood and they have not had a sacrificial system. According to the Old Covenant, according to the law of Moses, the high priest is supposed to go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement and apply the blood to the mercy seat. But they don't have a temple. They don't have a Holy of Holies. They don't have a mercy seat. They don't have a sacrificial system. They don't have a priesthood. 
what the people do now is they pray. And they hope that their good works outweigh their bad works for the last year. But that's not what the covenant said. In Leviticus 17.11, God said, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. There's got to be shedding of blood to atone for sins. But they don't have a way to shed blood. They don't have a way to make a sacrifice anymore. So now they just pray and they, do, and they trust in their good works and their good deeds to atone for their sins. But that, that's not what the law said. That's not what the covenant said. So they have no way. 100,000 people, they have no way to atone for their sins. There's nothing that they can do. They're trusting in their good works, that their good works are going to outweigh their bad works. And that God will forgive them for that. But that has nothing to do with the covenant that God made with them. And the new covenant, the new covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ, takes away our sins once and for all, it says. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12 says, Jesus offered one sacrifice for sins forever. And so the old covenant has become obsolete. It's vanished away. And yet you've got 100,000 people showing up where the temple once stood. There's no temple there anymore. There's no way to keep the old covenant. It's gone. It's vanished away since 70 A.D. Now, turn back with me to Jeremiah 31. Now look at verse 35. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name, If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured, and it can't, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, and they can't, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. Here the Lord is describing his limitless power, his omnipotence. He's the one who created the heavens and the earth. He's the one who gives light. He's the one who gives light to the sun and light to the planets and light to the stars. He rules over the storms and rules over the seas And the waves, they roar at his command. These ordinances are not just, you know, random occurrences in in nature or just natural phenomena. They're commanded by God. He is the Lord of hosts. That's his name. He's the commander of heaven's army. That's what that means. And look at what he says in verse 36. God says he will stop caring for Israel as a nation the day that the sun, moon, and stars stop giving their light and the sea stops roaring. He will stop caring for the Jewish people, the apple of his eye, the day that the sun goes dark and the moon goes dark and the stars go dark. And as long as these ordinances continue, he will regard Israel as a nation before him. And for added emphasis... Really, to drive home his point, he says in verse 37, if heaven above can be measured, the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel 
all that they have done, says the Lord. When, when the universe can be measured, and when the, the center of the earth can be explored, then God will abandon His people Israel. Then He will cast them off for all the things that they've done against Him. Again, today scientists can't accurately measure the size of the universe. They can't explore the center of the earth. So what is God saying here? He is saying He will never cast off His people Israel for what they've done against Him. He will never forsake them. He will never abandon them. Pastor Dan will share the second half of today's message in just a moment. But first, he'd like to take a moment to tell you how you can receive prayer for your needs. Do you need prayer today? Every week we receive prayer requests from our listeners. If you need prayer for anything at all, we would like to pray for you right now. You can share your prayer request with us through our website, calvaryec.com. Again, that's calvaryec.com or through our church app or by calling us at 410-491-4592. And can I ask you to pray for us as well? Pray for the Ring of Truth radio ministry as we bring the Word of God to those who need it. Thanks, Pastor Dan, and thank you for praying. Now, let's finish today's message. Now, you have some churches today that teach something called replacement theology. Replacement theology is the idea that the church, the modern church, has replaced the nation and the people of Israel and God's plan. And so, God is done with Israel and the church has replaced Israel. Not according to this passage. Not according to what God says here. God is saying here, He's not done with Israel, He's not done with the Jewish people, and He will never be done. He will never abandon them. He will never forsake Israel. And I don't think God could state it any stronger than He does here in these verses, comparing it to, you know, the sun going out and the moon and the stars, and comparing it to trying to measure the universe and explore the center of the earth. He's never going to cast off His seed Israel. God's never going to forsake them. Now turn with me over to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, look at verse 25. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. You should sometimes just do a little Bible study on the things that Paul says we should not be ignorant of. Today in the church, those are the things that the church is most ignorant of. Right? Do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. And he's talking about the people of Israel. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. He's talking here about spiritual blindness that has come upon the Jewish people. Again, you, you saw that picture, 100,000 of them going to the Temple Mount on the Day of Atonement but they've got no temple, they've got no priesthood, they've got no sacrificial system, they've got no way to atone for their sins, but they're still showing up there on the Day of Atonement. And there's a blindness, a spiritual blindness for many Jewish people, not all Jewish people. There is a a blindness in part that has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so this, this verse indicates that there is a spiritual blindness for the Jewish people, but this spiritual blindness is temporary. It will last only until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And the idea there is that, well, you know, that there's 
certain number of Gentiles that will be saved, that will turn to Jesus Christ. And when that last Gentile that will be saved is saved, then God will turn back to the Jewish people. And God will complete his plan for the Jewish people. And this is going to happen during the tribulation period, that seven year period at the end of the age when God pours out his wrath on the Christ rejecting rebellious world. And it's during that tribulation period, really the second half of the tribulation period, when the Jewish people will turn back to God and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Remember in chapter 30 of Jeremiah, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble, Israel's trouble. But God's not finished with them. He says, blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved at that time. All Israel will turn back to God finally. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. He's talking about the new covenant. Verse 28. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Look at verse 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He's talking about the Jewish people. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God has not withdrawn his calling upon the nation of Israel. It's irrevocable. He doesn't change it. Uh, We know from elsewhere in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, for example, God's not finished with the Jewish people. He has a future plan for them. That will come to pass. That he's going to carry out. During the tribulation period. The Jewish people will turn back to him. And they'll recognize Jesus as their Messiah. Now go back to Jeremiah 31. And we'll finish up here. Jeremiah 31 verse 38. Behold the days are coming. Again that's that phrase that indicates to us. He's talking about the last days. The days are coming says the Lord. That the city shall be built, notice, for the Lord. He's talking about the city of Jerusalem. It will be built once again. The Babylonians are about to destroy it. But he's talking about a future time at the end of the age. When the city of Jerusalem shall be built this time for the Lord. And he describes it geographically here from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. This is uh, from one corner to the other. The surveyor's line shall again extend straight forward over the hill of Gareb. Then it shall turn toward Goath and the whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be holy to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or thrown down anymore forever. God announces here that the city of Jerusalem will be rebuilt again. He describes the specific geographic markers in the city, the layout of the city, which implies it's, it's literally physically going to be rebuilt again. The Jewish people will physically, literally return to their land just as they are today. This is not symbolic here. It's not figurative. Notice again in verse 38, it will be rebuilt for the Lord, for the Lord's purposes. And notice at the end of verse 40, 
it shall not be plucked up or thrown down anymore forever. The city will be permanent and eternal forever. So this is not talking about the rebuilding of Jerusalem after the Babylonians destroyed it. Yes, they're going to come back and rebuild the city after the Babylonian captivity, but it's going to be destroyed again in 70 AD by the Romans. So it's not talking about that. This is referring to a different restoration of Jerusalem. Look at verse 40 again. This is talking about when the city of Jerusalem, because again, it was destroyed in 70 AD, but the city of Jerusalem has been rebuilt since then. It it exists today, but it's not talking about Jerusalem today either. Because at the, in verse 40, it says when it's rebuilt this time, it's being described here, it will be holy to the Lord. It will be holy to the Lord. So when will that be? Well, if you're taking notes, you can jot down Joel chapter 3, verse 17. Because there it says when the Lord God is dwelling in Zion, then Jerusalem shall be holy. Then Jerusalem shall be holy. When will Jerusalem be holy to the Lord? When Jesus Christ returns and is dwelling in that city as King of kings and Lord of lords. Then the city will be holy to the Lord. It talks about in Zechariah that the horses at that time will have bells and on the bells will be engraved holiness unto the Lord. Even the horses will be holy when Jesus is ruling and reigning in Jerusalem. So this, this is looking all the way ahead, down through the corridor of, of, of human history to when Jesus Christ returns, literally, physically, to the earth and establishes His kingdom in Jerusalem and rules from Jerusalem as King of kings and Lord of lords. Then the city of Jerusalem will be holy unto the Lord. Then the city will stand forever and will not be destroyed ever again. So, Yes, the city of Jerusalem is about to be destroyed. At the time that Jeremiah writes this, it's about to be destroyed by the Babylonians. But God has this great future in store for that city. Just like God has a great future in store for you. A glorious future. A holy future. Where He is dwelling in their midst. And He is their God and they are His people. And everything's going to be holy. Even the bells on the horses will declare the holiness of the Lord. And you know what it tells us in Revelation 19? It describes Jesus riding out of heaven on a horse, a white stallion. Remember, He came into Jerusalem the last time on a donkey, a beast of burden. And He came bringing salvation. He comes again a second time. He comes riding out of heaven on a white stallion. He's coming a second time as a conquering king. Robe dipped in blood. King of kings, Lord of lords. On His leg. And the armies of heaven are riding with Him. You know who that is? That's the church. That's us. And we're going to come riding down out of heaven on horses apparently with bells on them that say holiness to the Lord. And He's going to come back and He's going to establish His kingdom on this earth and He will rule as King of kings and Lord of lords. And He will ensure holiness throughout the land. He asked me how I know And I say Brings truer than the finest
When you look at the book of Jeremiah at a glance, it seems like the overarching theme is judgment and negative consequence. But as you take a closer look, you're given a microscopic lens into the heart of God. Yes, there was judgment and eventual exile, but think about how long-suffering and patient God was in giving them multiple chances to repent from their ways and separate from their sin. What an amazing and hopeful picture of God's heart toward you. He is just and fair in handing out consequences to those who willfully go against what he's offering. But like a patient parent, he gives grace and mercy when you vacillate between following him and venturing elsewhere. Ultimately, God wants you to choose him wholeheartedly, and he wants to bless you. Take the book of Jeremiah as a continual reminder that God is gracious and merciful, but he'll bring judgment on those who refuse his ways. If you want to talk to someone and better understand what all of this means, don't hesitate to call us at 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. We're so glad you joined us today on Ring of Truth. Feel free to study this book on your own in the meantime. In our next edition, Pastor Dan will share more from the book of Jeremiah and provide a deeper understanding of how to apply it to your life here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that craft and what I know because I know his voice and it only takes Rings true.